Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. And today I'm excited to have a special guest on the podcast to talk about dealing with financial anxiety. I think this is a very important topic, especially right now. And I've definitely experienced financial anxiety and I have worked through and continue to work through my own anxieties in general. And so to have this conversation with me, my guest today is Lindsay Bryan Podvin. And Lindsay is a biracial financial therapist, speaker, and author. As the first financial therapist in Michigan, she combines financial literacy with the emotional and psychological side of money. She's passionate about helping couples and individuals learn how to have a healthy relationship with money by removing shame from it, and she helps her clients navigate financial wellness in a way that works for them. And so on this episode, Lindsay and I talk about why she chose this line of work, what financial anxiety really means and what the signs of financial anxiety are, the steps that you can take on your own to tackle financial anxiety, and when you should seek professional help, as well as a ton of just other really great information that Lindsay shares. But before we jump into today's episode, I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. And you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes. And if you love what you listen to, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. I'd also love for you to stop by clevergirlfinance.com. We have new content on the blog multiple times a week. We have over 30 plus free courses, completely free courses. Plus, when you sign up for a course, you can talk to a Clever Girl Finance mentor for free as well to get encouragement, motivation, or if you just want to have an open, no shame, no judgment girl talk. Finally, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Clever Girl Finance on YouTube. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. So let's get into today's episode with Lindsay. By the way, I forgot to turn on my mic for this recording and that happens sometimes, but you'll be able to hear me just fine. So let's get into it. Hi, Lindsay. Hey, Bola. I'm happy to be here. I'm so excited for our chat. (laughs) Welcome to the Clever Girls No Podcast. I'm excited to have you on. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. So we're going to be talking about a really timely topic and also a really important topic. And that is on anxiety as it relates to your finances. And you are the perfect person to have this conversation with being a financial therapist. Um, But before we kind of dive into the details of this episode, I'd love for you to tell everybody who you are and what you do. Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, I'm Lindsay. I'm a financial therapist, which is exactly what it sounds like. I am a traditionally trained therapist. My background is in clinical social work. And I spent a lot of time in the depression and anxiety space and really loved that work. And then in my own time, being a millennial, money became very important to me to know about and feel comfortable and confident managing. So when it comes to personal finances, there are a lot of resources available. And when it comes to seeking mental health care for things like anxiety, you go a different track. But when it comes to how the intersection of the two are combined, the way that we treat them, there there really isn't a good way. So I sought out some additional training in financial therapy and in financial social work to provide people with emotional-based care for their financial anxieties. So, so that's what I do. That's so amazing. When it comes to just navigating anxiety, depression, um, finances has to be 
something that's up there along with all the other reasons why people could feel that way. And like you said, I think sometimes they're separated, right? Um, but people people deal with the anxiety and the anguish and the stress and all of that internally on their own. And I definitely agree that that's such an important um, job that you do because people need that help, right? And there's even, there's so much more shame and embarrassment about people being able to talk about how they're feeling about their money. Um, and that makes your job even more important. Thank you. Yeah. And, and I've, you know, over the, the couple of years that I've been doing this, I've continued to, I don't know if zigzag is the right word, but kind of hone in on my niche. And what keeps coming up is, is couples because you take two people with two different backgrounds, different beliefs on money, different ways that they were raised, different mindsets. And to your point, we all have varieties of financial embarrassment or shame or misunderstanding. And when you try to smash those two together and create a healthy romantic relationship, money can get really convoluted (laughs) and get in the way. Yeah. And that's the number one reason a lot of people get divorced, right? Yeah. Yep. So depending on the year, depending on the study, number one and two are almost always disagreements about money and infidelity. So, yep. yep. So, you know, I'd love to learn more about why you chose this line of work, um, you know, becoming a therapist. Um, Were there any personal experiences that you had? Was it purely interest? I'd love to learn more. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. Every time I think about why I chose therapy, you know, it's a little therapy for myself because you uncover something <laughs> every time I get asked this question. So I had not planned on, on going into therapy. I'd originally studied sociology and I thought that I wanted to get my PhD in sociology and teach it. Um, and then I graduated with my degree in sociology and I got a job actually in marketing, which was so bizarre because I had never taken a business course. I'd never taken a marketing course. I had no right to be in the field of marketing, but I graduated into into an economy that was like really, really great. Um, It was right before the economic crash where you could kind of just get a job if you had some letters behind your name. Um, So I did this marketing job for just shy of a year, hated it, decided, you know what, I'll I'll go back home to Michigan because at this point in time, I was out in New York working. Um, I'll go back home to Michigan and I'll, I'll just find a new job because it was so easy to find a job the first time around. Meanwhile, September of 2008 happened in the midst of all of that. And I realized, oh, there are no jobs to be had. (laughs) So I went back to waitressing. Um, And that was, I was really fortunate to be able to go right back into a job. Um, And I was in, for better or for worse, really good company with lots of other folks who were also kind of in a, a similar situation as me. So as I was kind of waitressing, I was doing some volunteering and interning on the side, trying to kind of figure myself out because I realized I don't want to spend another six or seven years in school to potentially go back and and teach. Um, So the field of social work kind of kept popping up. I hadn't really known before I started investigating that you could be a therapist doing social work. And what I loved about 
the social work philosophy is that it's really rooted in social justice. And I loved that you could kind of change your mind and use your social work hat in many ways, right? I could work in, and I'll just share like my career path. You can work in refugee resettlement. You can work in psychiatric research. You can work in pediatric care, right? There are so many different places that you can go with social work. So that really appealed to me. Um, But, you know, like a lot of maybe, maybe not a lot of young 20 somethings, maybe a lot of 20 somethings do think about it. I didn't really think about the financial impact of choosing social work. I came from an incredibly financially privileged background. Um, So I think I had it in my head that like any job would be okay. And it turns out I made less money at my first job as a social worker than I did waitressing. So really quickly, I realized like, I got to do something if I want to make ends meet. Um, So I started really consuming a lot of personal finance content and kind of like a recent episode of yours with with each little nugget I learned about personal finance, I felt more confident managing my money and negotiating for raises and leaving jobs if they weren't a good fit financially for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just struck by how many people in the social work field were, were, I mean, I hate to say clueless, but that's the word that comes to mind because the message we get as social workers and honestly, a lot of women and a lot of people in helping and healing professions, the message we get is you can't be a good person and care about money, right? Or you didn't choose this field because money is important to you. Um, and I, I really found it to be the opposite, that when I learned about money and managed my money and understood it, I actually felt so much more confident about knowing which charities I could give to and which jobs I could take and which causes I could support. So to me, it, it actually felt super empowering. And I felt like a much better person because I knew where my money was going. So that's a long and windy road of how I chose social work <laughs> and how I kind of ended up in the financial therapy realm. Yeah, I, I think what you said, that's a great, incredible story, by the way, you know, just finding your path navigating your way into this field where you're now working and impacting the lives of people, you're feeling fulfilled and you've gotten your finances together. That's amazing. Mm. And you know that the conversation around you can't do this and care about your money or you you can't be here for the money. That conversation is one that I I hear those comments pretty often, but I think that's it's a whole other podcast episode. Right, right. <laughs> but I, I, fi- I find that also very interesting because I, I've been told that. And yeah, we can maybe we can have another episode. All <laughs> right. <laughs> so let's get more into, you know, financial anxiety. So yeah. this, the times that we're living in now are very stressful for many people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the pandemic. Um, people are worried about health, um, depending on, you know, where you live in the world, um, in the United States, race is a big focus, um, combining all of these different issues, all these different concerns, um, they all impact finances, right? COVID impacts is impacting jobs and the economy. Health is impacting your ability to work or work safely. Race impacted generational wealth gap, racial wealth gap, all of that. And many people are just dealing with many emotions around their finances. So I would love for you to start by defining what does financial anxiety really mean? 
And what are some signs of financial anxiety? Because I could be experiencing it and not really realize because I don't really know what it means. I I may know what anxiety means. I may know what it means to like blow my budget. (laughs) (laughs) But combining the two together, I'd love for you to define that um, for everyone listening. So let's first start with what anxiety is. So anxiety is a normal physiological response to a stressor that looks like feeling worried, nervous, or on edge. And um, we have some corresponding physical symptoms of that too, right? Your heart might race, your stomach might end up in knots, you might feel dizzy, um, your muscles might get tense. Um, so those that's what anxiety is. So when we think of financial anxiety, it's feeling nervous, anxious, or on edge in relationship to your money that may make it more likely for you to make some unwise decisions to try and dial down that anxiety. And for most people, when we think about how we deal with financial anxiety, because anxiety is such an uncomfortable feeling, we want to to get rid of it. And some of the biggest ways we like to get rid of it is by avoiding it and procrastinating. So maybe not looking at your money or engaging with your money, or we try to control it by kind of putting on our perfectionist hat and trying to learn every single thing humanly possible about money. So that's what financial anxiety is. And that's how it can often show up in us. Okay. Can I just say that I have experienced financial anxiety in so many ways. So you can use me as your case study for this podcast. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll give you some examples, right? So just given how I grew up and the experiences I saw my mom go through, I have this I'm terrified of ever being broke, right? That's just one thing that's in the back of my head. I will never be broke. And as a result of that, I have like this baseline bank account level that if I ever find myself going below, then it causes anxiety and it causes me to stress out. And I also, net worth is something that's really important when you're talking about personal finances and you're calculating how far away you are from your goals. But I am very detached from my net worth because a lot of it is tied to investments be it in real estate or in stocks or business. And for me, it's not an actualized gain until I have the the cash in hand. And so there have been times where my husband has had to talk me out of misbehavior as a result of anxiety. (laughs) For example, like when we bought our first house and we had to put our 20% down payment down. And for me, I was like, oh my God, this is such a big impact of the cash in my account. Oh my God. Oh my God. And he's like, stop it. You're buying something that's important to you. That's a value to you that hopefully will appreciate over time. But for me, it was just that baseline in um, my account. And that's just a random example. I know for many people, anxiety could be like not having the consistent income, right? And I experienced that when I was transitioning from my full-time job to running my business. And it was sleepless nights. It was stressing out, even though I had put money aside, it was just knowing that I'm not going to get that paycheck every two weeks. And literally I would hyperventilate. So um, this is just my experience, but I can imagine, and you know, I'm, and I'm laughing about it. But when you're going through it, it doesn't feel nice. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't. It can be scary, right? Yeah. And so, definitely. for someone navigating financial anxiety, right? And there are people who are really struggling to put food on the table. There are people who um, the loss of one income in their household 
is devastating. And even though everybody, you know, that listens to this podcast, uh, like if you're listening to this, you're working on something, is actively working to find ways to get another job, find ways to bring income in, find ways to survive. It can be really difficult to get through. So what are some initial steps that someone can take by themselves, you know, um, to just be able to navigate through their financial anxiety, whether it's super serious or super light, um, but just being able to get through it because I think the severity of everybody everybody's experience is unique to the individual, right? Like a small thing could be a massive thing to one person, but not a big deal to another one. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for, for sharing your story because it just illuminates how financial anxiety can show up. So when we think about financial anxiety, just like traditional anxiety, it kind of shows up in three different domains. It shows up with financially anxious thoughts, like for you, oh my gosh, I'm going to be broke if we put this 20% down. It shows up in financially anxious um, like feelings, right? So feeling like really nauseous or having trouble sleeping or feeling dizzy, it can show up in that way. And then it shows up in financially anxious behaviors, the things that we do are are you constantly checking your bank account? Are you constantly, you know, looking to make sure that your, your paycheck came in on time? So it shows up in those three different places. So I think it can be helpful to offer some steps for each of those three, because like you said, Bola, each of us is going to experience it a little bit differently. So for somebody, their financially anxious thoughts might really dominate. And for other people, it might be more of the financially anxious behaviors. So when we think of a financially anxious thought, let's just take yours because again, you, you were being such a good case study. Um, and I'll exaggerate it a little bit just for the purpose of, of illuminating the example. But um, it might sound like if we buy this house, we will become broke right? That's a financially anxious thought. And the reason we know it's a financially anxious thought is because it's missing some proof. It's missing some evidence that it's really true. So what we do is we just take that statement and we start to ask ourselves to look at it with logic, to kind of look at it as though you were like the jury and the judge here. So how true is it that if we buy this house, we will be broke? Okay, well, let's let's crunch the numbers. Oh, we've already crunched them a dozen times. It actually turns out that we can actually afford it. And we you can afford it. You sound like my it. husband now. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. Well, he might be really hanging out in that logical place, right? So he might be very like... Um, black and white, right? So when it comes to these anxious thoughts, it can be helpful, but I, can, I know it can also be really irritating when you're on the receiving end of it. So, so we take a look at those thoughts and we go, how true is it? What proof do we have? And then we can look at that thought with a little bit more kind of love and logic. So we can say, you know, thank you thought for, for trying to keep me safe and, and kicking on that anxiety. The fact is we actually can afford this house and we won't become broke. So we can reframe that thought into something that's a little bit more helpful, which is, you know, I have spent a lot of time looking at the numbers and ensuring that the house we buy is affordable so we won't get in over our heads. The fact is actually that if we buy this house, we won't become broke. So that's looking at the thought. And I'll pause before I go on, go on to those other two because I know it's a lot. Yeah, and that totally makes sense. I mean, 
it was for me it was getting over the hump of taking the money out of my account and putting it in the cashier's check. Yes. <laughs> and once yes. it got to the cashier's check, I was fine. I was like, oh, you know what? I want to go buy some furniture. Let's decorate. But it's just, you know, that it's it's something to do with events, like the event of going to the bank and saying, oh, you know, and then the anxiety hit when the, the teller was like, oh, but that's a lot of money. Um, <laughs> what do you need it for? Why are you making? And I'm like, oh my God, this is a bad idea. See, they're asking me at the bank. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's that anxiety again, right? Exactly. Yeah. So that brings me to the, the emotional side of financial therapy. How do we deal when our emotions kind of take control? And what we can do is kind of the same thing we did before, but with our emotions, they're usually tied to a physical sensation. So if I feel chill, my body probably feels physically relaxed um, and okay. If I feel physically freaked out, my heart rate is probably pounding, my stomach is probably in knots, and you know the palms of my hands are probably sweating. So when it comes to coping with the feelings of emotional anxiety, what we want to do is, is again, label it and say, okay, this is financial anxiety and it's showing up because my heart is pounding, my stomach is in knots and my palms are sweating. And one of the greatest things we can do when our anxiety is like all keyed up and our, it's showing up in our body is to just try and offer your body the opposite of what it's experiencing, which sounds really out there, but stay with me. So If you're feeling really physically hot, what you want to do is label, okay, I'm feeling hot because of anxiety. And then how can I cool down my body? I can take a few nice deep breaths. If I'm feeling really, really stressed out, I can go open the fridge for a second and stand in front of it. Or I can grab a couple of ice cubes out of the freezer and hold on to it. Um, So we want to try and kind of balance that, that financial anxiety that's showing up in our body by coping with it in that way. So that's why you always hear therapists and and parents say things like, just take a deep breath because we know it can be so calming physiologically to the body to take those nice deep breaths. That makes total sense. I mean, I've definitely, you know, I, I tie a lot of my anxiety to managing risk. And as, as time has progressed, I've definitely gotten a lot better, especially when it comes to taking financial risks. But also, you know, I feel like my anxiety has transitioned as my life changes. Um, you know, when I, as soon as I had kids and now that my kids are getting older, those are, that's one of the things I'm always thinking about when I'm making financial decisions. But for me, my version of opening the fridge and standing in front of it is calling my mom or calling my husband. Mm-hmm. And they they always tell me, listen, put yourself together. Don't call me back. <laughs> Get your life. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they're not in your head, right? It's like with a friend who's freaking out about something. It's so much easier for us to tell them, like, "Hey, it's it's totally going to be okay. You're going to be fine." But it's really hard for us to tell ourselves that. Yeah, yeah, we're the chicken little with. Oh my god, the sky exactly, exactly. And the the last one of the three different ways that financial anxiety can show up and how to cope with it is the behavior. So as you mentioned, again, you are illuminating these examples so beautifully, um, the behavior that is causing financial anxiety. So for a lot of my friends with financial anxiety, a behavior is 
constantly checking their bank account. They check and they think they're going to feel better when they check and they might feel better for a millisecond, but then they have to check again. So it's like a, a constant checking behavior. It's seeking reassurance. It's some, some sort of behavior that has to do with their money. So then what we do is if it's showing up in that way, we combat it by saying, okay, what really is going to change in my bank account between 9 a.m. and 10 a.m.? Can I push out the next time I check my bank account from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m.? And starting to kind of just practice stretching that muscle or strengthening that muscle of, of not constantly checking in on things. So thinking about the behaviors that make you financially anxious and seeing if we can pull them back a little bit. Just to recap, if you can tell us again what those three aspects are that tie to the experience of financial anxiety. Sure. So the financial anxiety can show up in the way we think, oh my gosh, I'm going to be broke if I buy a house, in the way that we feel, oh, it feels like my heart is pounding out of my chest, or the way that we behave, oh, I'm constantly checking my bank account. And I think for anyone who has ever um, just decided to work through their finances or is in the process of working on their finances, achieving a big goal, paying off debt, saving, investing, whatever it might be. I, I think everyone has to have felt some sort of financial anxiety, right? So Lindsay, I'd love for you to tell me if you have experienced financial anxiety, <laughs> given oh, that yes. you're a therapist. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I should also mention that it's okay to experience financial anxiety. Financial anxiety becomes a problem when it starts becoming a problem to you. Meaning mm -hmm. if those anxious thoughts are so disruptive that it's like taking you out of your workday or taking you away from parenting your kids, like you can't be fully present, then it's a problem. But to have a worried thought every now and then about money isn't a problem in and of itself. But yes, my financial anxiety shows up um, very much in the procrastination avoidance lane. I am the type of person that if, if it were up to me, I would not actually engage with my money, which sounds so bananas because I am a financial therapist, but that's my default is to procrastinate and avoid when it comes to money. So I have had to work really hard at making money a, a positive thing in my life, which is why I mentioned every time I was learning stuff about financial literacy, when I was kind of going through the process on my own, the better I felt because it, it's this weird catch 22. I used to feel like I don't know anything about money. I must be stupid. So then I would start learning about it and I'd be like, oh, but they're talking in terms I don't understand. It's not for me. And then I would avoid it versus just like putting on some sort of like CNBC in the background or actually a better example is when my husband and I were getting ready to buy our first home, I would watch a lot of house hunters. And I know it's not like very realistic of the home buying process, but just being exposed to those terms like closing date and... Um, you know, a, an inspection and things like that helped me to feel more comfortable and confident that I knew what I was talking about. So of course, I experienced financial anxiety. And for me, a way that I overcome it is by learning because otherwise I would avoid it. You know, I, I see that avoidance behavior so often in finance, um, just navigating the clever girl finance community. Um, it's something that women do a lot. Um, and 
you know, it's just, a, you know, when you start to feel that way, because I've seen this happen so much, it's like you said, either thinking, oh, who am I to do this? Oh, I, I'm not smart enough. I don't know what those things mean. You know, I think that in that situation, in addition to everything that you just talked about, like, you know, how to how to think, how to manage your behavior, how to manage your emotions is just learning, which is what you are, you have done. That knowledge, that breaking it down. And I, I, I think I talked about this in the last episode I did on financial confidence. Once you know, it helps to dis- dispel that feeling you have that I, I don't know this as it, it kind of makes it, I can actually learn this and this is not as complicated as it's made to seem. And then it makes it easier for you to approach your finances, especially that challenging part of it, right? It just it just brings the barrier down a little bit when you just decide that, you know, I don't know what I don't know, but I'm going to educate myself. And then it makes it easier for you to not avoid it. Right, right. And what I loved about your podcast episode on confidence was that the advice you give of like, you don't have to do it all at once. You don't have to learn everything about budgeting and everything about investing and everything about homeownership and everything about side hustles today, but pick an area that you're either most interested in or you're most avoidant of, you know, you, you know, choose your own adventure and start learning about it. And, and like you have said so many times in in various ways, money is not that complicated, but it's all the jargon that we put around it that makes it seem really intimidating and complicated. But if we can, like you said, just start to learn in those little baby steps, we can start to dial down that that financial anxiety. Yeah. And, you know, this is, I'm, I'm really loving this conversation because when you think about talking about Facing financial difficulty, which is something that I've talked about a lot on this podcast since COVID started. Um, and those action steps, right? Communicate with your lender. Let your creditor know you're facing financial difficulty. Focus on your priority items. Start to budget. Figure out ways to get creative with bringing additional income and Find a part-time job. Sell things you own. All those steps are basically ways to help manage that thought, emotion, and behavior that could consume you um, if you don't have an action plan to get through that financial difficulty. And as you're talking through all of this, I'm like, wow, you know, I just everything that you're saying is actually applicable, and it makes sense that you're in this financial therapy space because, again so needed. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's one of those things where I also think everything is intersected. So if you are are working on your budget, that is going to ripple out into helping you to feel more comfortable and confident when it comes time to starting to think about investing in retirement or to start thinking about creating a 529 plan for your child. The more you learn, the more you can kind of pick up that momentum and start to to progress into different areas of personal finance. So I'll tell you a random story since I'm all about full disclosure right now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I am terrified of flying. And this is like a new development in the last five to six years. Before I had my kids no issues. I've been on crazy turbulent flights, not a fear in the world. I would sleep through the worst weather. It's perfectly fine. And then I had my kids, hormones, emotions, the fact that I know that I have two babies somewhere who rely on me or waiting for me. My anxiety when it comes to flying was just through the roof, like ridiculous. I would be thinking about the flight 
weeks before like if I have a flight next month in my head I'm already like processing okay what's gonna happen what's gonna happen um on the plane my stomach is in my mouth it's just just a horrible experience and then one day I was on a flight and it was an extremely turbulent flight and there was a couple in front of me who were former pilots and aerodynamics something something blah and (laughs) they started talking you know initially I was kind of mad I'm like listen we're going through turbulence right now we don't want to hear this conversation and they were talking about why we were going through turbulence and how what the dip meant what the air pocket went the the airstream flow and how the planes aerodynamics were navigating through it and I actually started to feel better. I couldn't control what was happening, but I got a sense of understanding of yes, what was happening yes. around me. And now every time I start to feel that anxious, I can never forget that couple. Every time I start to feel that anxiousness on a flight, I think about what they told me and I calm down. So, you know, just this is a, a, a random example, but it ties back to what you just described as, as to when you're feeling that overwhelmed with your budget or with your finances and you you figure out the aspects you want to focus on and you focus on getting informed there or you you start to educate yourself and it just gives you that calm and it helps you navigate that anxiety. Yes, yes. Oh, I love that example so much. And I'm so glad that you were able to share that with other people because it's so true. The things that make us anxious are often things we feel like we don't have control over or that we don't understand. So to start understanding, oh, I'm feeling turbulence because of these air pockets. It's not that the plane is going down. Of course, that's going to dial down that anxiety for you. There are some times when Anxiety can be overwhelming yeah. to manage. So we've been fortunate where we're able to manage our anxiety. Either we have those people in our lives, we can do the exercises, we can get educated, we can stay informed to counter that avoidance. We are we can manage through it. But there are some people where anxiety becomes just a, a really strong hold on their lives, on mm-hmm. their relationships, on their ability to function, on their ability to reason. Yeah. And so when is what are some indications that someone needs to seek professional help? And I also want you to help dispel that stigma around quote unquote professional help because people think that many people, especially in my experience as a woman of color in the minority community, you're a woman of color, you've probably seen this a lot where anything that's deemed professional help that falls into that, you know mental self-help space is like, what are you doing? Who does that? Nobody does that taboo. So when does someone, when you recommend someone seeks professional help, right? And how how can you help to dispel that stigma around getting the help that you need if you're struggling? So when it comes to anxiety, when it comes to when is it time to seek out some help. The the kind of rule of thumb is, is it impacting a person's ability to function? And what I mean by that is, is it impacting your ability to get up, to go to work, to take care of your kids, to engage with your partner? If it's so debilitating that it is the main thing that you are thinking about or feeling or experiencing through the day, then that is a sign that it's probably time to get some help. 
And there's no shame in getting help. In the United States, one in five adult Americans is going to experience some sort of mental illness at some point in their lifetime. And the good thing about anxiety is that it's really, really treatable. The outcomes for anxiety are actually quite good. And if somebody wants to start getting some treatment for anxiety, um, cognitive behavioral therapy is the one that's the most evidence-based. That's the one kind of that I've been hinting at this entire time, which is that our thoughts impact our feelings and our feelings impact our behavior. Um, and there are a bunch of different ways that you can go about finding a therapist. If you have health insurance, you can try the number on the back of the card. Um, if you are a student, a lot of colleges and universities have a number of appointments that you're allowed to see at the, the university counseling center. The nice thing is that even if you if you don't have insurance or if you are in an area where maybe you're you have commercial insurance but they don't have really good coverage you can always seek out training facilities so schools of social work schools of psychology all of those students have to get in a number of hours in order to become credentialed so they often offer therapy at a at a really affordable rate at a really nice sliding scale so there are a lot of different options for therapy today that's really great to know. And, you know, just knowing what your options are is really important, especially if you have the opportunity to have it covered by insurance or it's something that your workplace or your school provides. That's definitely very helpful to know. And it, again, it's it's treatable and you're not alone. You're in really good company with experiencing anxiety. And even if you're like, you know what, Lindsay, I don't know that it's impacting my ability to function, but it definitely feels higher than normal for me. That's okay. And, and a great first step can be just to talk to your primary care provider and they can do a brief five question assessment to kind of get a sense of if it makes sense for you to go and see a mental health care provider, or they can also reassure you that, you know what, this kind of seems temporary to, to your points earlier. We're in the middle of, uh, you know, a virus pandemic and, you know, a racial revolution. So there's a lot of different stressors going on. So your primary care provider can also do a quick assessment to see if mental health care makes sense, or if they can just kind of reassure you that this seems to be a temporary stressor. Yeah. And like you said, you know, one in five adults is going to experience some sort of mental health issue, severe or mild, whatever it might be. And that's important to know because you're not alone. Um, you know, just being really honest, the beginning of this pandemic was terrifying, you know, for just, it was, I would describe it as mental anguish. I would cry because so many people in my family work in healthcare or essential workers. And it's, it was just thinking about, oh my God, you know, without knowing as much as we did back then, like, what if somebody in my family dies? What if, you know, something happens to my husband or my mom or my sister-in-law? And it was a lot, right? So you're not alone in how you feel, whether it's around your finances or your life or your relationships. But I would definitely say, like you said, Lindsay, it's important to seek help and know what options you, you have. Um, for me personally, as an introvert, I call myself a faux introvert. Like I can put on my game face to do a video, do a podcast, to do a speaking event, but really truly in my life, I'm an introvert. I don't like being in the limelight and being that introvert, it, it was really a struggle for me when I was younger to communicate how I felt. And that would amplify anxiety for me because I was internalizing it and navigating it through myself. 
And it was just after a lot of conflict with my mom and my husband <laughs> over many years that I've now gone comfortable really talking about how I feel emotionally. Right. And when I let it out, when I get that sounding board, even if they don't want to hear it sometimes, um, when I get that sounding board, it actually helps me immensely because I can get over it and keep it moving without overanalyzing and over-processing and doing all these things that you tend to do when you feel anxiety, doing all those things in that situation when I know I can just get help, right? right. Um, yeah. So what words of advice would you give a friend or somebody listening to this right now who's just like, wow, Lindsay, you're speaking to me. Um, I'm navigating through a difficult time in my life or just I'm feeling anxious about whatever scenario, just like some words of encouragement or advice. Yeah, yeah. so one is, is again, just like we've been saying, you, you are not alone in experiencing these thoughts or feelings. It's very normal right now to feel anxious, whether you're anxious about your financial security or whether you're anxious about your future. There's a lot of stuff going on right now that that is going to make it very, very normal for you to have an anxious response to these things. Um, so just check in with yourself and, and assess what you need. Because at the end of the day, most of us know what we need. Most of us know if we're going to say, oh, I really just need to vent to a friend. Most of us know if we're like, actually, I think I need some 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 backup. I really need some professional help. And, and doing that will help with that anxiety, even if it is just texting a friend and saying, hey, I had a really anxious day, just to get that validation and to get it out. Oftentimes, with, with so many uncomfortable emotions, they take up so much more space in our heads and in our bodies when we don't say them out loud. And once we say them out loud, you know, one of the most common things I hear is like, oh, that was such a weight off my shoulders or, oh my gosh, I feel so much lighter after saying yep. things, right? And those are the sessions where I don't say anything. I'm just sitting there nodding along. And those are the people who are like, thanks so much. Great session. And I'm like, okay. Okay, great. <laughs> See you next week. Um, so there really is just power in saying it out loud. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more because I have experienced that. And, you know, and now I have, I call them my circle of influence, but I have a person for every kind of problem I'm facing because I know that they're going to be that sounding board. <laughs> yes, yes. They may, they may not know that they're that person, though, but it's okay. <laughs> I know. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, so um, it's really, really important. And even if you can't seek that medical help, I'm sure, you know, find people in your in your space, in your family, and you may not have the people in your family. And, you know, like, there are a lot of people that are my sounding boards that I really have never met. We have become fast and close friends just by virtue of online communities and talking to each other all the time. And, you know, they help me and I help them. So there are ways that you can get support um, mm -hmm. as you navigate your, you know, just whatever situation you're going through. Right. Yeah. Well said. So Lindsay, thank you so much for your time and for, you know, coming on to have this, this conversation, you know, with, about a topic that a lot of people are dealing with facing and just the steps you gave us to navigate through it. You know, I'm constantly working on, I feel like every time I, I master one area of dealing with anxiety, something else comes up as like, hey girl, waiting for yes. you here. Yes. <laughs> Come, let's get anxious together. So, 
<laughs> I'm constantly working through it. And, you know, what I've learned, especially now that I, I'm, I'm accomplishing milestones, pursuing new milestones, is that as you, the more you step outside of your comfort zone, um, the more opportunities there are for you to feel anxious. Yes. Um, yep. This can apply to any aspect of your life. You know, they just, it'll just find its way to you. It's just, and it's just making sure that you are able to counter and not allow that anxiety to be the reason why you don't take that step. You don't take that action. Um, right, exactly. You know, so, and I just think about the folks who right now are just going through this season of having that job loss, you know, navigating their finances right now and just, you know, for all of you listening, just keep in mind that this is a season and you will get past this and you want to do your best as best as you can, but don't allow how you feel to make you give up or make you sit back and not take action or make you get stuck in a pity party. Like I'm a girl that I will cry my eyes out. No shame. (laughs) Don't judge me. I'll get myself back together. You know, it's just, find your way to cope. So Lindsay, um, I'm sure I listening to this, you know, a lot of people may want to learn more about you, figure out how to reach you, visit your website. So I'd love for you to share how people can keep in touch with you and just learn more about what you do in terms of offering help and therapy and professional guidance around financial anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. So my company is called Mind Money Balance, M-I-N-D. And I'm quite active on Instagram. And that's usually where you'll find me hanging out. My website is by the same name. And so is my podcast. And if you're looking for a low-cost way to kind of start working on your financial anxiety, my book, The Financial Anxiety Solution, is a great jumping-off point. I recommend that you buy my book from your local Black-owned bookstore because it's traditionally published. You can ask that they order it for you and you can pick it up there safely. Um, That way that money stays in your community and it's not going to an online big box conglomerate. So that's a great kind of first step. And if you want to learn more about working with me directly, my website is the best place to go. And oh my God, I forgot to ask you, what is your Clever Girl superpower? Oh my gosh. I would say um, I my Clever Girl superpower is that even though I'm pretty avoidant, my when I get excited about something, I'm definitely ready, fire, aim. So when it comes to money, once I started figuring out that I, I enjoyed it, I was all in on it. And that that actually does tend to serve me pretty well. Sometimes it backfires, but be able being able to just like jump right in and figure it out as I go. That's great. I love it. <laughs> so I'll be sure to include all the, 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 I'll be sure to include all the links that you mentioned in the show notes, including your website and your social media pages so that people can find you and keep in touch with you and contact you. And I really appreciate you for being here. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Thank you, Bola. This was so wonderful. So thank you so much for tuning in to this episode, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation that I had with Lindsay. If you love the episode and you don't yet subscribe to this podcast, you can do that everywhere you subscribe to your podcast, and be sure to head on over to iTunes to leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Again, thank you so much for tuning in, and I will talk to you on the next episode.